If you are looking for even more help and guidance on your breakup, I have a few different options for you to take your healing to the next level. I have four different online courses depending on what stage of the breakup that you're in from beginning all the way into moving on after heartbreak, or you can bundle all of my courses together and use the code podcast to get $25 off my course bundle. I also have my 30 day no contact challenge to help hold you accountable in going no contact with your ex. And we have our free Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with other people going through breakups all over the world. To learn more about any of these resources, head to the show notes where you can learn more about my courses, take the quiz to figure out which course is best for you, or join the Facebook group. And don't forget to use the code PODCAST to get $25 off my course bundle. Welcome to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast with your host, Breakup Bestie, aka me, Kendra. Breakups are hard, but you don't have to do it alone. Each week, I will be taking you through a different topic as it relates to breaking up, healing from heartbreak, growing in your single life, dating, and getting back into happier and healthier relationships. The goal of this show is to provide support, hope, tips, and to remind you that above all, this too shall pass. Welcome back to another expert episode of the podcast. And today's topic is a long time coming for me. It has always been a goal of mine to have an expert on the podcast who can talk more about the physical and scientific effects of going through a breakup. And so I had a friend send me an article about a book called Heartbreak, A Personal and Scientific Journey, written by Florence Williams, and I very excitedly reached out to her, and she so graciously said yes to coming on the podcast. So today, I am talking to journalist, author, and podcaster Florence Williams. She is a contributing editor at Outside Magazine, a freelance writer for the New York Times, New York Times Magazine, National Geographic. As I mentioned, she wrote the book, Heartbreak, A Personal and Scientific Journey, and she is also the author of The Nature Fix, Why Nature Makes Us Happier, Healthier, and More Creative. So I'm really excited to read that next. But she went through a divorce that was not her choice, and because she's a scientific journalist, she decided to kind of put herself through the process of going through heartbreak and approach it in a scientific way. So she visited all of these really interesting experts. She learned all about what is going on inside of our bodies, what's going on in our brain when we're going through a breakup. And I always knew that there had to be something physical that happened during a breakup because I'm sure a lot of you listening can relate. It feels physically painful to go through a breakup and there's so many physical sensations that we're going through. So she is here to talk all about that. I highly, highly recommend her book. I would actually recommend that you get the audio version because it includes her video journal It includes the actual interviews of the experts that she talked to. So either way, definitely get the book, but highly recommend the audio version. So Florence talks about how our immune system's impacted by going through heartbreak, what happens in our brain, why loneliness actually feels physically uncomfortable and painful. So her episode is tremendously interesting. I could have talked to her for much, much longer, but 
I know you guys will enjoy this, and I hope you continue learning more about it in her book. So here is my interview with Florence Williams. Welcome, Florence, to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast. I am so honored to be able to, to talk to you today about your new book. Thanks so much for having me on, Kendra. I'm so glad your podcast exists. Thank you. Yeah. And I was sharing with you that I had a friend send me an NPR article about your book, and I instantly went and downloaded it, which I did the Audible version, which I'm so glad I did because it's so unique and features your actual like video journal entries and then the, the actual interviews. It was like a podcast, like really well produced. So if anyone's on the fence of getting it, I highly recommend the, the audio version because it Thank such you a so special much. effect. Yeah, I yeah. love what we did with that. It was really creative and I'm really grateful that we were able to layer in a lot of cool sound. Yeah. And it was so, which I want to first ask you what led you to, to write this. It was so raw getting to hear your actual yeah. journey of going through heartbreak. Yeah. Yeah. If you could share what, what led you to write this. Yeah. You know, I've been a science journalist for a long time. This was my third book. And typically my journalism is informed by questions I have, you know, that sort of crop up in my life that I figure, you know, other people have as well. So my first book I wrote about sort of reproductive health and, you know, the ways in which our bodies kind of interact, you know, with pollutants and the world around us. And then for my second book, I, the nature fix, that was really about how being in nature makes us feel happier, healthier, and more creative. And I was inspired to write that after I moved from Colorado to Washington, DC and was like, why do I feel so much worse in the yeah. middle of the city? Like what's going on? you know, went around the world for that book and, and talked to different experts who were studying this and did a bunch of experimenting on myself as well. Like I walked around with a portable EEG cap on my head and I, you know, tested my cortisol levels and stuff like that. So fast forward a few years and my 25 year marriage kind of rather pretty suddenly ends and it was not my choice to end it. My then husband was really in love with someone else, which I didn't know. And so I had never been heartbroken before. I met him when I was 18. You know, we were together for so long through so much and I couldn't believe how much it hurt. And then I couldn't believe how much my body seemed to be, you know, sort of registering this pain, like in ways that was, you know, ways that were making me sick. And so the, the journalist in me was like, well, what's going on? What's happening to my immune system? You know, what's happening to my brain? I want to get better and I want some answers. And maybe this can be useful information to other people as well. Which I'm sure. And, you know, one of my questions was, what has been the biggest message that you've gotten from people who have read this book? I feel like I have a pretty good idea, but I'm curious what <laughs> yeah. your biggest thing has been. Yeah. I mean, tons of people are saying, thank you for explaining my experience. It's you know, so validating. Now I understand. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's so validating that. of the experience. Cause I think not knowing everything that goes on during heartbreak can make us, I mean, you know, I've gone in times that I've gone through heartbreak, I have felt weak or ill-equipped to handle my emotions. I have felt really just taken aback and I've always felt like I was a very strong person. And right. then that right. happens and it makes you question 
Am everything. I everything? <laughs> yeah. Am I strong? Am I? And to know that there's so much going on below the surface, I think is, is incredibly validating and yes. can make us feel like, okay, there's a reason that I physically hurt after going mm-hmm. through this. Exactly. Exactly. Our brains are, you know, they're wired for love and they're also really wired for heartbreak learning more about the evolutionary reasons for that, how it can be adaptive, what's happening, you know, that this is universal and that we're sort of supposed to go through it is really helpful, I think, and comforting. Yeah. And I had told you before, there's so many good, I could have written a thousand questions from the book. There's so many good points, but the first thing I know that really stuck out to me was this concept that you brought up about abandonment anger and how yeah. it's one of those things where when you hear a term and you don't, you've never heard it, but you know exactly <laughs> what it means because you have felt it on a very deep level. Yes. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. So one of the first people I met after my marriage fell apart was biological anthropologist, Helen Fisher. And normally she studies what happens when you fall in love, you know, sort of the neuroscience of love. And she's also one of the few people who's looked at what happens on the other side. So she's put, you know, dumped, (laughs) dumped people in brain scanners and has seen what's going on with their brains. And she said to me right off the bat, she said, you know, I explained what happened. She said, well, are you sleeping? And I said, no. And she said, you know, are you digesting food? I was like, no. And she's like, well, I can tell you why. And she had this great maternal, you know, presence. And she sort of invited me to her hotel room. We were at this conference together and she started explaining, you know, the phases of rejection and sort of what was going on. And and one of the phrases that she mentioned was this abandonment rage. And I was like, oh yeah, you know, click. Yeah. Abandonment rage. Right. I do feel that, (laughs) you know, and of course, one of the crazy things about heartbreak is that you feel so many things at once. And you should know by looking at the brain in a scanner, she can sort of help explain that too. You know, for example, she sees parts of the brain light up that are associated with craving and addiction because, you know, your brain is used to having this person around your body's used to having this person around your respiration rates are co-regulating your heart rates are co-regulating your cortisol levels are co-regulating all of a sudden they're gone. And your body freaks out. It's like, wait, what just happened? I'm used to having this person next to me, you know, every night and they're not there. And your body processes that, you know, as, as sort of a state of peril, right? Because as humans, we like being around other people. We feel safe when we're around other people, our bodies are used to co-regulating. So the addiction piece kind of makes sense because, you know, we notice this absence right away. And we kind of want it back like a drug, you know, because we're used to it. Even if the relationship wasn't that good, we're sort of used to it. And our brains like the hormones, you know, that are resulting from being together. Yeah. So that's one thing. And then there's another part of the brain too, that comes on, which is the part of the brain that processes physical pain. So, you know, when people talk about why heartbreak hurts, you know, it's not just a metaphor. Your brain is actually treating it like it's physical pain. Interesting. Okay. So I think that sometimes we don't feel like we want to point to like something physical that happened that is causing that actual pain. And I think especially when, cause some breakups, 
are pretty anticlimactic in some mm-hmm. ways. So mm-hmm. I think there's this gap between, you know, I shouldn't feel or I shouldn't miss them because they were not a good partner. Right. I still don't understand why we even broke up. Sometimes mm-hmm. people drift apart, but that the pain mm-hmm. is still probably the same regardless of the reasoning, you know, and I'm sure things are different when there's cheating and infidelity, but you know, there's still that level of physical pain regardless. Well, of and the there's breakup. still a lot of commonality when there's cheating. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. Like we can have these cognitive kind of reasons for, you know, why we should be better off why, you know, but our bodies are different, you know, from our thinking brains and our bodies, you know, they're so primal the way that they process feelings of safety, feelings of threat, it's very, very primordial. And when we feel alone, we're going to process that as a threat state. Like our brains don't really make the distinction between being kind of rejected in love and literally abandoned, you know, out in the jungle to, you know, stumble along by ourselves. And so you know, our nervous systems kick into high gear. They're like, oh, we better pay attention now because we're alone. You know, we're more likely to get attacked by a predator. We're more likely to get injured. We better pay attention. We better wake up. We better be hyper vigilant. We're looking over our shoulder. And that's why we have this agitation and this sleeplessness and this kind of, you know, high level anxiety going on. It's just really, really pretty basic evolution. But what's so interesting to me and that I hadn't heard before is the way that our immune systems change in that state. Yeah. I thought that was such an interesting part of your book and especially something that impacted you with, well, I know it's not necessarily directly, like it can't prove that it's the cause, but the fact that you had an autoimmune condition kick in as you were going through this. Yeah. I got diagnosed with type one diabetes, which is an autoimmune disease. I heard of other people going through divorce that also, you know, got other diagnoses. One psychologist said to me, you know, divorce is a story of inflammation. I thought that was really interesting. And so what happens, you know, and we actually tested my blood for genetic markers of inflammation at various time points from the divorce. So we did this little experiment And then I tried some interventions to get better, to see if those were changing my genetic markers, if I was getting healthier. And and these aren't tests that you can just do in your doctor's office. I mean, I had to do them in a special lab. I worked with a scientist at UCLA and what he's discovered, his name is Steve Cole, is this suite of about 200 genes that either upregulate for inflammation when we're feeling alone Mm -hmm. and kind of in this imperiled state. And they downregulate for fighting viruses, which is really interesting because viruses are spread in groups. So if you're feeling lonely, you know, you may be less likely to need those genes and more likely to need the genes that will help you if you get a flesh wound, you know, or if you get attacked. Yeah. Of course, the problem is we're not in modern life, literally stumbling through the jungle, you know, facing a tiger. We are just facing this sort of like recurrent loneliness that can go on and on. And the inflammation is exactly the wrong response, actually, for being healthy. I think, you know, as inflammation affects so many things in our body that we, you know, we think of inflammation as like, oh, we have a puffy face when 
after crying for, you know, an extended period of time, but when it happens in <laughs> the body, too. it impacts <laughs> that too. Yeah. But it impacts so, so many things internally. And I mean, is there a connection with that inflammation and like, does that also impact our mental health? Well, what's amazing is that there's this constant conversation going okay. on between our immune systems, our nervous systems and our emotions. So we have these cells in our body that are literally listening for loneliness and listening for our emotional state. And our cells are trying to help us out, but yeah. you know, unfortunately they're, they're just not really doing the right thing for our current modern life circumstances. It's just this crazy phenomenon, you know, where the inflammation seems to be causing, you know, over long-term causing chronic illness people who are divorced have a 23% increased risk of early death. They have increased rates of metabolic disease, cognitive decline, heart disease, metastatic cancer. You know, it's like, it's a terrible list. And in fact, the health effects of feeling alone, feeling lonely, the health effects of that are equivalent to being obese and smoking. So we have to take heartbreak seriously. Yeah. And as you were going through that, the question that kept popping into my mind is, are there more traditional mental health coping skills that can then impact the inflammation positively? So are there things that we can do that like going to therapy, will that help ease the inflammation physically? Yeah, absolutely. So, you okay. know, the bad news is that the heartbreak does cause inflammation and puts us at risk, right? But the good news is that we can get better and we can, in fact, I believe, kind of speed up the recovery. But it's a long process. It can be a long process. You know, after long marriage, research has found that it takes up to about four years for the body to kind of return to baseline in terms of your health. And some people don't get over it. And so those are the ones who are kind of, you know, driving up these statistics and they're the ones who really need to work extra hard, I think, to, you know, to move on and to get over this and to calm down, get their nervous systems, you know, in a safer place. So, but there are some things that make us more resilient. Okay. And I was determined you know, yes. to try to find, I feel like you tried everything. Were. <laughs> I was going for the science. What does the evidence say will really help my immune system? And what I found was just astounding and surprising. And I thought really, really interesting. And also ultimately hopeful because we can actually change some of these factors to make us more resilient. Yeah. And one thing, you know, kind of getting back to just the physical impact is I know a lot of people experience during heartbreak that they do things that are very not within their character. So they will like yeah. drive by the ex's house or like just, you know, kind of stalk them yes. on social media. And they feel bad because they're like, this isn't me. Is that because you talked about like, we go back to that animalistic part of our brains and is it like, was our prefrontal cortex that controls yeah. all of our judgment? Does that just go offline? Yeah. So the science shows that we have poor impulse control <laughs> yeah. when we're in the sense. throes of heartbreak. So that's okay. why, you know, many of us drink more, we yeah. smoke more, we maybe will have riskier sex. 
we will be more aggressive and angry, especially men will be more aggressive and, and even violent in the wake of rejection. We are not as in control of our behavior after heartbreak. So we sort of, we do sort of return to some adolescent behaviors when our frontal cortex just isn't really fully online. Yeah. Yeah. I had this question written before I really, I finished your book. And my original question was going to be, why do you think there's not a lot of research on heartbreak? But then as I'm going through it, I'm like, there actually is a lot of research, but why do you think there's not anything that brings together this research in a practical way when first of all, heartbreak is so universal. It's happening every single day. It's such a big deal on our physical and emotional health. Why do you think there's that huge gap? Yeah. Good question. I don't know, but I was very happy to fill it. (laughs) I'm so happy you filled it too. (laughs) You know, I wish that that someone else had written my book when I was heartbroken. Yeah. So I think it would have been incredibly helpful, but even just taking the journey, talking to the experts, hearing what they had to say. I mean, a lot of this research is actually very new. Okay. Uh, You know, there's just ongoing stuff right now. I mean, I visited a couple of laboratories, you know, with voles and mice and, you know, even people looking at possible drugs for loneliness, you know, pharmaceuticals, you know, I talk a lot about openness as a personality trait that can really Mm -hmm. help us through this and sort of the power of cultivating beauty and awe, which I would have never expected (laughs) that beauty could be an antidote to heartbreak. Um, But this is really new research. It's just really new. I definitely want to come back to the idea of, of awe because it is like an entire part of of the book, but there's a lot of talk about loneliness. Do you feel like overcoming that feeling of loneliness is one of the biggest not cures, but biggest ways to cope with heartbreak is overcoming the loneliness. Yeah, absolutely. It's really critical. You know, there are different ways and degrees of feeling lonely. And it may be that, you know, you have your kids or you have your friends and, you know, you may be sort of talking yourself into the fact that you're not actually lonely, but on some level, again, maybe subconsciously, maybe deep in your immune system, you don't feel like your main primary support figure is there. You know, when you lose your primary attachment figure, it's devastating on even just a subconscious level. Yeah. What would you say is the, like the short-term fix for someone who does feel that like they might have all the friends and they're close with their family and they would look up and say, I have a really great support system. Mm -hmm. I feel this deep longing for that, for that partner? Are there ways to cultivate a sense of wholeness without having a partner? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the first thing you need to do is really calm your nervous system down. So there are going to be a lot of ways that you, you know, personally may want to do that that may be different from how I do it, but some of that is going to be, you know, allowing yourself to lean on those friends allowing them to come help you. It means being vulnerable with them, asking for help. These aren't things that our culture, you know, has really taught us how to do very well. Yeah. You know, admitting that we're feeling, you know, sad and terrible and, you know, maybe even worse, you know, finding professional support, you know, talking to therapists can be important. I tried different kinds of therapy, you know, throughout this book. And uh, some of them have surprisingly, you know, good results. 
I talk about EMDR. I talk about psychedelic therapy. I also talk about talk therapy. And then of course, just like finding a calm space, you know, from walking in nature or hearing the birds or doing yoga, you know, however it is that you can help your body sort of feel a little bit more relaxed is going to be a really important first step, but there's many more steps as well. Yeah. So it sounds like that, that loneliness, that missing is like puts us on edge, like where we always kind of feel on edge. So that way the cure is to find a sense of calm. And I thought it was really interesting when you were talking about being at home and you, your like car registration was up. There was just like all these things you were listing these like really to some people would think like menial tasks of everyday life. Yeah. But do you think we don't put enough emphasis on all those little things that we miss in like when going through a heartbreak where we don't have that partner to help us with our car, the house? It's just so easy to feel overwhelmed. Yeah. You know, and sort of less up to the tasks. Right. And if we've been in a long partnership where perhaps our partner took on, you know, a share of those tasks, like the car registrations, you know, or, you know, like fixing things around the house that are now breaking and there's no one fixing them. Yeah. I mean, that can all lead to this feeling of overwhelm and anxiety for sure. Yeah. So it's, I mean, I'm just, you know, talking to you now, it's, there's so much of the common theme of, of anxiety and I mean, you know, you can associate anxiety with inflammation, but just like being on, I mean, it's like fight or flight work. Yeah. It's fight or flight and fight or flight. Right. When we're going through hyper vigilance, like what's going to go wrong now. And there's also the, you know, people always say, I constantly feel like I'm going to run into this person Mm -hmm. or I'm Mm -hmm. constantly nervous. I mean, I remember being afraid to turn on the radio when I was going through my breakup because I was so afraid a song would come on. And it feels like a full-time job just managing the, you know, the yeah. triggers around right. heartbreak. Right. It is. And one of the things you, that you just said reminded me of how much I was cursing, you know, what if that, if that song that. did come on, you know, I would just like curse, you know, and want to throw the radio. And I actually talk about the science of cursing yeah. in my book and how it actually does make you feel a little better. There's something about it that seems to amp up your adrenaline a little bit to sort of gear you up to feel less pain (laughs) as you go into some sort of battle. And there are some funny experiments where people will plunge their hands or their arms into really cold water. And if they're cursing, they don't feel the pain as much. (laughs) So there's a reason, there's a reason that you might be out there cursing and, you know, let it happen. Like don't repress your feelings. Don't repress your emotions. You know, if you want to like shout and curse and throw something against the wall, you know, it might be helpful to do it as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you do if you had unlimited time and energy? As you're navigating your breakup, I know your energy can feel low and it can feel really difficult to complete everything you need to in a day. When you're emotionally exhausted, it's especially important to be really clear on what your priorities are and where your energy should be invested. Therapy has helped me in the past figuring out where I should be putting my energy, whether that's career, friendships, relationships, events, which in turn has helped lower my anxiety because I don't always have to feel stretched thin or behind. 
Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash heartbreak today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash heartbreak. Are you looking for a guilt-free way to unwind? Between balancing your breakup, work, and just functioning in your day-to-day life, I know you are under a lot of stress. Breakups mess with your nervous system, cause obsessive thoughts, and make it so hard to just sit with yourself. This is why it's so important to have rituals that allow you to treat yourself in a healthy way. And this is why I love Recess Mood, a sparkling water infused with functional ingredients like stress-balancing adaptogens and mood-lifting magnesium. Life has been very full and stressful for me lately, and as someone who hasn't had alcohol in a years, I need something that helps me relax and that can bring me a moment of peace. Lately, my favorite way to do that is sitting on the couch after I put my kids to bed and having either the strawberry rose or the lime recess mood. They not only make me feel good, but they also taste incredible too. So whether you're looking for a healthier alternative to alcohol or a way to make you feel more balanced, you deserve a healthier way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com slash heartbreak and get 15% off recess mood, your go-to alcohol replacement. I mean, they have like rooms now where you can, I don't know if you've heard about these, but where you can go and just smash stuff. Yeah. It's like a smash room. But it probably feels good for a little while. It does. And it reminds me, I had a mentor when I was going through my last breakup who said, I want you to write like an FU letter to this person. And I yeah. kept saying, I don't feel like I'm in the place to do it. And she's like, at some point you will be. And I like, remember when it hit all of a sudden, I just like became overwhelmed with rage. And I remember I had a broken thumb, so I could only write with like, like with my fist basically. And I took out a notebook Mm, and I just wrote, and I used the F word. Like I like was digging into the page. I still have it. It's, it's like such a, but it was so powerful. And now it makes sense because I'm not someone that usually uses the F, you know, I don't drop F bombs constantly. You know, again, we're not really taught to be comfortable with anger. Yeah. But anger can be a constructive emotion. And repressing it turns out also not to be a good idea. So there are sort of constructive ways to to engage with it. It can help you feel some separation from your ex. It can help you, you know, sort of lean into your new identity apart from this person some anger can really help you move on. And in fact, negative appraisal, which is a term psychologists use, that's kind of what you were doing in this letter. Even without using the F word, if you just write down the things about your partner, you actually didn't like Mm -hmm. about the way he or she made you feel, you know, that can be really helpful. It's like, oh yeah, because we sometimes have a tendency, I think, to, to overly romanticize the good things. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and we forget in their absence, you know, and it's really important to remember the crummy things because it can help you move on. Yeah. I think I've noticed in my past breakups that when I can get to the place of just seeing my ex objectively, I can see the good, I can see the bad. Right. I just can see them as like another human being on the planet instead of someone that was the best person in the entire world or the, or the only the biggest person. piece of shit or, you right. know, something right. like that, where I can get to a place where I'm like, 
they're just a human existing exactly. on the planet. You want to take away some of their power to yeah. control your emotional state. You need to take that back. Is the science like support the fact of avoiding the X as much as possible? So there's a lot of people who think that they want to be they can be friends with an ex or keep them, you know, when you're sharing yeah. children, obviously there needs to be yeah. contact, but yeah, is there, does science support trying to cut that out as much as possible? The science really does support it. Yeah. You know, Helen Fisher, who I mentioned at the beginning, who's scanning people's brains, she found that people who've been rejected and love, I think about their departing loved one, like 85% of their waking hours, you know, they are obsessed and, you know, you're going to be that way for a little while, but eventually <laughs> you need to kind of put that in the rear view mirror because it's just going to reignite these feelings over loss of control. So, yeah, I mean, people say, don't follow them on social media, yeah. you know, you know, maybe there are reminders in your, in your house or your apartment, you want to get rid of if you're co-parenting and I was co-parenting, you know, you can set up more boundaries Yeah. like for a while. Like my ex was coming over for dinner and using my shower and stuff. And I was like, you know what? No. Yeah. I actually think, did you do an interview with Helen when you had the book come out? Yeah, I did. Okay. That was the one I listened to the other night and she compared it to overcoming addiction, which I think there are so many right. parallels right. and that was a huge thing that I discovered anecdotally. I've been sober for nine years and there was so much similarities between so getting much. sober and going through a breakup. Yeah, do where not was, keep the whiskey bottle on the yeah. counter. Like, yeah. do not do it. Yeah. Yeah. I had to get rid of all the stuff out of my house. Totally. But I think society reacts so differently. Like when I got sober and I told people, hey, I, I can't attend this party. I'm not in a place where like I feel comfortable going to a bar. But if it was, you know, a heartbreak situation, I don't think people would be quite as supportive in that way. Yeah. I mean, it's just one of those things where at some point you have to trust your gut too. And if something makes you feel bad, you know, don't do it. Yeah. And I do want to get talking about the idea of awe and your, you know, you went on your Grand Canyon trip. And can you talk about how awe can be, you know, an antidote to loneliness and rejection and yeah, everything sure, that heartbreak comes with? It was such a major kind of lesson of the book, I think. So that's from talking to a researcher named Paula Williams at the University of Utah. And she has found that people who are open to beauty and open to awe are just more resilient in the face of kind of life's blows. and. You know, if you think about why this may occur, you know, picture for a minute, like looking up at the Milky Way, you know, and it's a beautiful still night, it's dark out, all of a sudden the sky is just full of these stars and you're like, wow, <laughs> it kind of knocks your socks off, right? It's in a good way. It intrudes upon the negative thinking. You stop thinking and you're just trying to take in this incredible sight. At the same time, you feel really small, right? Which ironically makes you actually just feel more connected to the rest of the universe and more connected to other people. Your own ego in that moment becomes really insignificant. 
And instead you're, you're just like stunned by the power of the universe and by beauty. And the fact that you're a part of that is, is kind of amazing. So when you feel that way, you feel less lonely because you feel more connected to other people. You're less consumed with that 85% of obsession over your ex. You're going to behave in ways that are more generous and more pro-social according to the science. And ultimately you may sort of open this interesting window of opportunity to say, you know, wow, who am I now? Who am I going forward? What is my place in this incredible cosmos? And that is an important question because it reinforces your sense of agency that you can have some control over who you want to be next. You're not just a victim. You know, now you have a chance to learn some things and take some lessons moving forward, start to envision your future in this really positive way. And I think in those moments, if you ideally are in a supportive community or with a supportive friend or in a, you know, even a workshop or a retreat or something like that. And by the way, I do lead these retreats that journey into awe. Yeah. I mean, we really start to open up that window of transformation that can occur in the presence of awe and beauty. And, And the really hopeful thing here is not only that are these people more resilient, but we can actually train ourselves to become more open to this kind of awe and beauty. So you can, you know, it may take seeing the Milky Way or yeah, Yeah. seeing something huge. And then, you know, you can see it on your drive to work. I mean, ideally seeing something huge is really a wonderful way to do it, but you know, we can also learn to cultivate beauty and sort of microdose awe in our daily lives, but it means a little bit of practice in being open to this beauty when it shows up. I mean, I think this idea is so important, especially because I think people can get so stuck in how they're feeling right now. I'm going to feel this way forever. I'm going to be this way forever. It's never going to get better. So opening up those possibilities and giving you a sense of perspective. Do you feel like there needs to be a certain amount of processing of your anger and all of those things before we can start stepping into this idea of, of awe. Cause I think there's, you know, I remember, you know, I've always been told to like make a gratitude list when I'm feeling that way. And sometimes I'm like, okay, but I feel like this is just overriding my other experience. Do you feel like there's a reason that awe is the third part of your book where some other stuff needs to happen first? Actually, I would say awe is probably the second part of my book. You know, first there's this sort of calming down and then there's the kind of connection to the world. And then the final part of my book is sort of this idea of purpose and meaning, which is, I think, even a little bit higher level than the awe stuff. But I'm shy from saying there's sort of a specific order, right, to recovery. Because I think with any kind of grief process, which this is, there isn't really a recipe or a formula, and it's going to look different for everyone. You know, grief is such an idiosyncratic thing. And if you tell someone this phase lasts for six months, and then this phase lasts for two months, you know, people are just going to feel like, whoa, that's not working for me. There's something wrong with me. I'm behind. And one thing I have come to really value through my own heartbreak experience is that, you know, big emotions are not tidy. They don't sort of show up and then go away and show up and go away. And then another one shows up. Sometimes we are experiencing them all at once. 
And there's this storm of like joy and misery (laughs) at the same time, you know, and love and hate at the same time, safety and fear at the same time. It's, um, yeah, it's tricky. Yeah. I think the idea of and emotions are really, I remember, you know, there's that saying like, you can't feel faith and fear at the same time. And it's like, I feel that, you know, it's like, I (laughs) I know things are going to be okay, but I can be scared at the same time. So yeah. Yeah. I think that's an important point. And, and another term that you bring up in your book is this idea of post-traumatic, is that what it, post-traumatic growth? growth? Yeah. yeah. Post-traumatic growth or sometimes post-adversity growth. You know, when I learned more about that concept, I was also wildly thankful and optimistic because we talk about trauma in a certain way. I think that, you know, positions it as this terrible thing that has happened to us and we are victims of it. And we are compromised now going forward and wounded. But the other side of trauma is growth. Mm -hmm. And I would love to see us be able to talk more about the growth side because it often happens. And in fact, there's a lot of growth that can't happen unless there's adversity. So in many ways, you know, adversity is sort of a gateway to really like learning more about who you are and how you love and how you can show up and how you can be empathetic. It, it can be a wildly transformational, important experience. It's that that's really spiritual and, you know, can be great. I always say, I feel like I'm a very motivated person, but there's nothing that motivates me more like being in a lot of pain right. to like, <laughs> to get help and ask for help and, and take action and, and do all those things. And do you find that if someone really takes advantage of that, you know, post-traumatic growth, does it ultimately outweigh all the negative stuff that it does to us physically? You know, I think it's a little bit hard to say that because, you know, you don't want to take someone who's, you know, lost a loved one or had cancer, you know, and say, oh, it was all worth it. You know, (laughs) I think, you know, in some cases they would actually really much rather have, you know, their loved one back despite how much they've grown, it would actually be really nice to have their loved one back, have their health back. But I will say that for many of us, I think we can come to an understanding that we are grateful for the experience because of what it's taught us. And we do feel like we are more alive, more capable of love, better people, and and better able to sort of help our communities as well as a result of this tragedy. Yeah. There was another thing that you mentioned in the beginning, and then you you talked about that you can't gamify or you can't game heartbreak. That was like something that yeah. you had mentioned in the beginning. But then there's you know this talk about if we can't game it, can we ritualize it so it becomes you know not something that we can like escape from? But do you think like as a society we can you know support people more through it, ritualize it more? So that way it's, it's not so much of, you know, this thing that we have to go through by ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, as I said, there's no way to like hack it. You can't just get over it, you know, 24 hours. It's not going to work, but we can certainly absolutely learn to, I think, feel less alone, learn to feel these feelings and process them, learn from them and come out the other side, a better person. So there are ways, I think, to, to kind of enrich this experience and not only survive it, but actually thrive and grow through it. And my last question as someone 
who has quite literally done it all and tried, tried it all. <laughs> I feel like, thank you for being the, you know, the kind of lab rat for everyone in, in that God forbid, if you were to ever go through heartbreak again, what would be like the top three things that you would return back to that you feel like would really have the biggest impact? Yeah. Good question. For me, I, I do have this very strong connection to the natural world. And I feel like that's going to be a place that I'm always going to seek solace and comfort, you know, in whatever form that will be again, leaning on my friends and asking for help. I feel like I'm better at that now. And then, you know, I might try the psychedelics again. If I, if I felt like I was kind of stuck and needed to have some big revelations and big reveals about my future. You know, I haven't, I've been sober from drugs and alcohol for so long, but that's been one thing where I'm like, I mean, cause I've heard so many amazing things about, you know, that kind of therapy that it's very intriguing. Yeah. I think it's not for everybody. Yeah. You know, and I, I wouldn't want to necessarily recommend that everyone run out and try it. I think they're a big deal and they can certainly bring up, you know, and unseat some trauma as well. So you want to do it in a really supportive environment with people you trust and have, you know, some therapy kind of support. I think it's good to go in with a very clear and specific kind of intention for okay. what you want through it, not just to try it, you know, cause you want yeah. a cool experience, but what exactly do you want to learn from this experience? Yeah. And one final question would be, do you ever foresee a future where heartbreak is treated the same as like, do you ever see us being able to like take time off with a heartbreak or like when we go mm, through mm-hmm. addiction or do you ever see it treated equally as the things as addiction or yeah, bereavement sure, or things like not? that? I mean, I'd love to see a, a workplace, you know, yeah. that honors whatever space and time we need for mental health or for physical health. So yeah, that would be great. And in fact, I think even in Japan, there are there are some workplaces that give time off for heartbreak specifically. Yeah. Cause I mean, if you get broken up with on a Sunday and you have to walk into work on a Monday, it is, it's useless. Don't even try. Yeah. Yeah. It's useless, but it, you know, it is, you know, when we're going through an addiction, we go to a 30 day treatment program and right. Yeah. It'd be great. Completely, you know, in surround ourselves with healing for that time. And, you know, heartbreak it's broke up on a Sunday. I have to go back to work that week. I would love to see us as a culture honor the depths and agony of heartbreak Yeah, and yes. support us through it. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Florence, thank you so much for coming on. And I hope everyone listening gets your book. I mean, anywhere you get books, Amazon, you know, I bought the audio version on Audible, but highly recommend the audio version. And yeah, thank you so much for coming on and for, you know, putting yourself through <laughs> all of this to give so many people the opportunity to know what's really going on. Well, you're so welcome, Kendra. And thank you for all that you do. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you loved it, I hope you'll leave a review and share with your friends. If you're not already following me on Instagram, head to at your breakup bestie where I'm sharing new content almost every day. To join our Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with thousands of people from all over the world going through breakups, head to the link in the show notes. And don't forget to check out my online courses for more in-depth help through your healing journey. I always end these episodes the same way, reminding you to be nice to yourself 
stay connected with loved ones. And the biggest reminder is that this too shall pass. I promise.